Well, good morning, Rock Church. My name is Brett, and it's my pleasure to be back with you after a brief hiatus. Uh, good to be back. It's also, by the way, my privilege to be a part of the leadership team here at the Rock Church. And if you've been coming to the Rock for quite a while, you know that in the spring and summer of this year, basically this year, uh, we've gone through a lot of change at the Rock. Change can be difficult sometimes, but change can also be really healthy. And so, you know, I just want to say, as a member of the leadership team, I believe that we as a church are in a super healthy and vibrant place, and uh, I'm actually proud to be a part of the Rock Church and for the impact that we have in our community. Hope you guys are too. Hope so. So, quick question to begin today. Have you ever been the victim of false advertising? You know, you're expecting one thing and you get something else, right? So I was on social media a couple weeks ago, and somebody posted this thing. Um, what would it be like if advertisers told the truth? You've probably seen some of these, but I thought I'd share some of them with you this morning, starting with McDonald's, because you only have $4. <laughs> Is there any other reason to go to McDonald's, right? What's the next one? Hamburger helper. Mom's tired. That's truth in advertising right there. Next, Altoid, used for everything but holding mints. <laughs> Who's got one of these in your car? Yeah, absolutely. Next one, <laughs> guilt trip cookies. <laughs> I was accosted in front of Safeway yesterday, right? You just got to give in to those puppy dog eyes. Lay's flavored air. <laughs> so disappointing when you open that bag. Taco Bell, also open when you're sober. Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> Some of you know exactly what that's talking about. And Activia helps you poop. <laughs> Can't we just get real, right? In this world of false advertising, I don't know, artificial intelligence, fake news, we need something to be real. We need our faith to be real. And so the question is, what is real faith? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So as many of you know, uh, I stepped out of full-time ministry back in the spring uh, to do marriage and family therapy out in the community at a place called Thrive Wellness. And since that time, I've had the opportunity to work with lots of individuals, but also it's, I, it's a pleasure for me to work with couples. So I've seen lots and lots of couples, you know, just trying to help them communicate better, help them get on the same page and that sort of thing. And at this point in my practice, I can pretty much put any couple into one of two categories. Those who change, right, and therefore grow closer together, grow in health, and those who do not change and therefore separate, move away from each other, that sort of thing. And my natural curiosity kicks in and I say, Okay, what is the difference between these two groups of people? Because they all intend to change, don't they? I mean, people usually don't go to therapy unless they want to change, unless they want to grow in some way. And so I say, well, what is the difference between those who change and those who do not change? And I really think it comes down to this. It, those who change actually do the work outside of the therapy office. They, they come and see me and we... We talk, maybe learn some skills, practice some things, and then they go out and they take action. They actually live out what we talked about. 
Those who don't change have great intentions in the therapy office, but then they go back out into the real world and they live exactly the same way they did before. And see, you can have all the good intentions in the world, but if it's not backed up by action, there won't be real change. Real change requires action. And what I'm going to propose today is that there is a spiritual parallel to that. Now, we talk all the time here at the Rock Church about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that good news is that you and I are um, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? You and I are saved through faith. And so then, what is real faith? Now, the book of James paints this clear picture of what it means to have authentic faith. And we started last week, Pastor Art started by talking about real wisdom. What does real wisdom look like? And he said this, and I quote, he said, wise up, shut up, get up. Remember that? He actually said it nicer than that, but that's what I remember, right? Wise up, shut up, get up. And, and basically the idea was that, that wise people focus on going forward. They're not stuck in the past, they're looking forward. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with the book of James uh, because it would not win the award for the most encouraging book in the Bible. Have you read James? Some of the things that James says. He says, when you have troubles in your life, you should be filled with joy. Awesome. Thanks, James. I'm talking about how we talk. The tongue corrupts the whole person, sets his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's intense. My personal favorite, especially today, not many of you should teach others because we who teach will be judged more harshly. Awesome. He says, change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Rich people weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Makes you want to hang out with James, doesn't it? <laughs> Fun guy. But see, when you dig deep into the book of James, you discover it really is an encouraging book because it paints this picture of this authentic faith, a faith that we can trust. And so James says this in uh, James 2.26. Would you mind reading this out loud with me? Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. See, faith is dead without good works. In other words, or in another version, what it says is faith that does nothing is dead. Now, some of you are kind of pushing back on me right now and saying, wait a minute, Brett, didn't you say that we are saved by grace alone? And isn't grace a free gift that God gives, something that we can't earn? Doesn't Paul himself say that you and I were saved by grace when we believed. And yes, he does. Paul says the same thing we do at, at the rock, that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In fact, this is where he says it in Ephesians 2.8. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's what? Masterpiece. Do you know you're a masterpiece, by the way? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do what? 
the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, you don't have to do anything to earn grace, but real faith will result in doing something, right? You'll result in something. There's a personal investment in real faith. Uh, Back in the 1800s, there was a famous circus performer in France named Charles Blondin. And what he was was a tightrope walker. He, he was famous in France, but he became famous internationally when he did a stunt at Niagara Falls. He strung a line across Niagara Gorge, 1,100 feet long, and he walked across it. The crowd loved this guy. One day, uh, he actually took a wheelbarrow full of bricks across and back, and the crowd went nuts. And, and kind of capitalizing on that, he said, how many of you believe that I can carry a person on my shoulders across Niagara Gorge? And they all cheered, of course. And then he said, okay, who will be that person? <laughs> Crickets. Crickets. There's a personal investment in real faith. And so James chapter 2 is all about that personal investment, what that looks like. Before we get to what it looks like, I think it would be important for us to dispel some myths, though, about faith, what real faith is not. Starting with, real faith isn't certainty. Don't equate certainty with faith. And somewhere along the line, we got the idea that following Jesus, you can't really have any doubts about that. Doubts are kind of seen as a weakness and, and how dare you have weakness if you're following Jesus. And so let me just dispel that right now, okay? If you are a person who has doubts about faith, doubts about God, about the Bible, do you know God is not afraid of your doubts? If you read the Bible, you read about all these real people. We call them heroes of the faith. And every single one of them had doubts at one time or another. I love what the writer of Hebrews says about faith. He gives us a kind of a cool definition. This is the book right before James. And he says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we, what? Do not see. What we do not see. There's something that we hope for. It isn't certain because we can't see it. But there's this assurance that's based on a promise. I want to give you a, kind of a practical example that maybe you can relate to. Let's say you want a raise at work. Totally hypothetical, right? You don't. I'm sure you don't. But let's say you want a raise, and so you hope for that raise, and you hope for that raise, and that does not bring about the raise, does it? But let's say you work really hard, and your boss calls you in her office one day, and she says, you know, you have worked so hard. I want to reward that. I'm giving you a raise. You're ecstatic, and you go home to tell your family. And when you tell your family, you don't say, I hope I get a raise, do you? You don't say, I might get a raise. What do you say? I got a raise. But you haven't seen it. You haven't gotten the check yet. So your hope for something was turned into faith because of the promise of the boss. And so, real faith isn't certain, but we have this assurance based on a promise. Second thing real faith isn't, real faith isn't blind. We've all heard of blind faith, right? 
Some of you rockers up there, you remember Blind Faith? One album only, though. But Blind Faith is when you believe in something unquestioningly. Maybe because somebody else believes it, maybe because your parents do, and you kind of tack on to their faith. It's putting your faith in something or someone untested. And see, genuine faith isn't blind. I have three kids. They're 26, 24, 22 years old. So 20 years ago, when they were about six and four and two, we had a game that we loved to play. It was called Ticklebug. And so this is what Ticklebug was. We would turn off all the lights in the house. We played it at night, except for one room, the living room. That's where mom was. That was base. And then I was the Ticklebug. And so I would go hide somewhere in our dark house, and they would have to come find me. My kids were terrified that they would be the one that would find me. Because what would I do? What does a tickle bug do? Yeah, first scares you to death and then tickles you, right? And, and, and yet every night, they would say, Daddy, can we play tickle bug? And uh, my kids describe it, they, they could actually feel their hearts beating. They were so terrified of this game, of the tickle bug. And yet, what did they know? They knew the tickle bug was their loving father. They knew that. And see, I think that's what real faith is like. It's exhilarating and it's scary because it isn't certain, but it also isn't blind because we know the character of the one in whom we put our trust, Jesus Christ. Do you trust Jesus? Richard Rohr, uh, pastor and author, actually suggests that a better word for the biblical word faith is the word trust. You know, we're saved by grace alone through trust alone because it's all about the character of the one that we put our trust in. So, real faith isn't certainty, it isn't blind, and then finally it isn't passive. It's not a passive kind of thing. And James paints this picture of a very active faith that has a tangible impact in your life and in the lives of other people. Um, he says this, starting in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Rhetorical question, but if he were to answer that question, what would the answer be? He'd say no, no. So in other words, real faith is more than what you say. Talk is cheap, right? You've heard action speaks louder than words, right? Sometimes in my practice, I'll come across a husband who says, um, I don't know what her problem is. I tell her I love her all the time. But do you show her? Do you listen to her? Do you serve her? Well, no, I'm not that kind of person. Then do you love her? Right? And James is saying, and we're talking about that next week, what real love is. But James is saying same thing. Mere words are not enough. Real faith is more than what you say. He goes on in verse 15. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? 
Rhetorical question again. What would he answer it? What good does it do? No good. No good at all. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Real faith requires more than what you feel. It's more than what you feel. So it's kind of easy sometimes to confuse feeling with faith. You might see an injustice in the world. You might see somebody that's in pain and you're moved to compassion. Maybe you're moved emotionally because of a song that you hear or a teaching that you hear, but it's not backed up by action. Now, don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with being moved emotionally. Happens to me a lot. Sometimes, actually, in this room, I'll be, I'll be in here, Andy and the music team are playing, and something about the song taps into my emotion. I don't expect it. It just, emotion just shows up. Sometimes I'm moved emotionally by something Meredith says, Pastor Meredith, or something Pastor Art says, and I fully intend to do something about it. And then what happens? I get to those doors, I walk out in the parking lot, and I forget. Anybody else do that? Anybody going to do that today? Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, it's easy to, to, to forget. But until it moves me into action, it isn't faith. I want to tell you about a guy I really admire in our church. His name is Dick Davis. I don't know if you've had the chance to meet Dick. Dick's 79 years old, almost 80. He always sits up in that corner up there, right? And Dick made an appointment with me here at the church several months ago and, and just shared with me. He said, Brett, I just feel this burden for people who don't know Jesus. I look around at the world around me and just think, gee, people need Jesus, you know? And I, and I look around and I see all these people who are hurting because of illness, and because of injury and those kinds of things. And, and I just feel like there's more that I can do. I read the Bible, and I see that Jesus and the disciples would pray for people. They would pray for healing. And as a result, people would be drawn to Jesus. And I, I can't get rid of this feeling that I can do more. We talked some more. We prayed together. I kid you not, it wasn't weeks later that Dick Davis went to Northern Nevada Medical Center and asked the staff for permission to pray for people. They were blown away. Nobody had ever asked them to, that question before. And they said, of course you can. And he went around and he prayed for people he doesn't know. And it's gotten to the point now where Northern Nevada Medical Center calls Dick when someone needs to be prayed for. I kid you not, since that time, Dick Davis has prayed for well over 200 people he doesn't know. Isn't that amazing? If you talk to Dick, he can tell you stories of healing. He can tell you stories of people who showed up at the rock because he prayed for them at the hospital. That is real faith, folks. See, Dick didn't see a need and simply feel bad about it. Dick didn't see this need and come to his church leadership and ask them to do something about it. He turned his feeling into faith. And that's what happens when feelings prompt you into action, they become faith. Now, James isn't done yet. He goes on here. He says, now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. 
This is the person that says, you got your thing, I've got mine. I know what I know about God. You're not going to change my mind. And this is what James' response is. He says, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Sometimes we forget about that, right? That the enemy believes in God. So it's got to be more than belief. Real faith is more than what you know or believe. Sometime in church history, a tragedy happened. And that tragedy is we began to think about Christianity in terms of what you know, right? So learn more and more, fill your head with more and more head knowledge about God, about the Bible, about theology. And when we did that, what happened was we started to lose sight of the relationship with God, that you and I are meant not to know about God, we're meant to know God so that God can come in and actually transform our lives. We probably all know somebody who, who studies the Bible all the time, right? They never miss a Bible study, and then they're a complete jerk at work, right? We know people like this, and this is the problem when faith is simply an intellectual exercise. Uh, when I was in college, the first time in college, a long time ago, there was a class that was famous up at UNR. It was called the Bible as Lit. Anybody ever take that class? It's the Bible as Literature. And, and that class was famous because everybody knew that the professor hated Christians, people who followed Jesus. And he took great pleasure in dismantling people's faith intellectually in the class. I knew a couple people who wandered away from the faith because of that very class. And the irony of the whole thing is here's a man, the professor, who literally read the Bible every single day. But it was simply an intellectual exercise. And the sad thing about it was most of the Christians weren't that different. They would argue with the professor about what they knew, but the professor never saw Christ living in them. That's the problem with making it all about head knowledge. I love what Richard Rohr says about this. Richard writes this. He says, faith is not an affirmation of a creed, an intellectual acceptance of God, or believing certain doctrines to be true or orthodox, although those things might well be good. And they are, by the way. Those things are good. Yet that seems to be what many Christians have whittled faith down to. Such faith does not usually change your heart or your lifestyle. God refuses to be known intellectually. This is why Jesus commands us to move toward what? Love. Move toward love and fully abide there. And I think that's what James is saying to us. He's calling us to move toward something. And so he continues by giving us a couple of practical examples from the Bible. He says this, Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right by God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. That's Abraham. Now he talks about Rahab. He says, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God 
by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. In other words, real faith requires action. It always requires action. And so James gives us two real-life examples of people who lived out their faith. Abraham, you may know the story. He had, he had been promised by God that he would have a son. He and his wife Sarah would have a son. And he promised that all nations would be blessed one day through this son. Problem was, they were too old to have a son. It would require a miracle. So what did God do? He did a miracle. And sure enough, Sarah got pregnant and they had Isaac. And then God calls Abraham to give up Isaac, to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham obeys God. Why? Because he believed God. Right? He believed God. If God said, all nations are going to be blessed through my son, then God's going to do something to save Isaac. And sure enough, God did. Abraham had genuine faith, and therefore he took action. Do you know the story of Rahab, by the way? Rahab was a prostitute who lived in a city called Jericho, and God had told God's people to, to go in and take over Jericho. He was going to deliver Jericho into their hands, and everybody in Jericho heard that as well. And so they sent some spies into Jericho. And Rahab, rather than turning the spies over, hid the spies why did she do that? Because she had heard about God and she believed God. See, her faith and her actions worked together. And so I think it's pretty easy for us to see in a couple of e biblical examples what faith looks like. But the real question this morning, I think, is what does that mean to you and I, right? What does it mean to us? Because we don't want to become the kind of people that think that our good works, our good deeds, save us. They do not save us. But at the same time, we don't want to have an impotent faith that has no impact in our world, do we? I, I've heard it said like this, and this works for me. Um, faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. Does that make sense? Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. It is accompanied by action. It's accompanied by good works. Pastor and author James Bryan Smith, excellent author, um, says it really well. He describes faith as a fire that you tend in a fireplace. And he says that God is the one who lights the fire, but then he leaves us to tend the fire. And this is how he describes it. He says, just like the fire in the fireplace, I need to stoke the fire throughout the day. I do this by pausing for short times of prayer every hour or two, by reading the scriptures or spending a few moments reading a devotional book or spend some time in self-reflection. These are the logs that I add to the existing fire to do what? Keep it burning brightly. Keep the fire of faith burning brightly. I don't do these things because I want God to love me and bless me, nor to avoid punishment or impress people with my piety. I do all of this to keep the fire burning. I do them because I know I'm spiritually weak. 
I cannot maintain an effective and joyful Christian life without these activities. I also need weekly times of worship, like when we gather, fellowship, service, and a host of other disciplines to nourish my soul. When I neglect these things, my soul atrophies. See, you and I, who have chosen to follow Jesus, do so because of the promise that he's made. Our faith is not like rooted in certainty. It's not rooted in certainty. It's rooted in the fact that we know the character of the one who made the promise, right? We know the character of the God who loved us so much that he became human in order to show us a better way and ultimately took our sin upon himself and put it to death on the cross so that we could be with him forever. This is the Jesus that we love and serve. And our faith in this Jesus is demonstrated by our actions in how we live our lives and in how we impact others, how we treat other people. And so my hope this morning is that there's, there's maybe two different kinds of people in the room right now. Some of you, you already know this, right? You've been living this. You've discovered this truth. And so my, I'm hoping this is encouragement to you to keep on that path, to continue to invest your life in the kingdom of God. For others of you, maybe as we were sharing today, you think, okay, I say I believe, I've, I've kind of made that proclamation, but you're sensing that the Holy Spirit is calling you to take action, to put your faith in action. And so I just want to give you a couple of ways that you might be able to do that. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about Alpha. Um, Alpha is a gathering of groups where you can talk with others about faith and dig deeper into your faith. And really, the way I look at Alpha is it's putting logs on the fire to keep the fire burning. It starts next Sunday night, so I'm asking you maybe carve out a season of your life, a season of Sunday nights, in order to stoke that fire of faith. You can sign up for that at our Welcome Center. Or another way might be, you know, you know we have Kids Rock up there. Our, our kids are being well taken care of up there by loving adults who love to teach them about God. And maybe you would want to pour into the lives of the next generation, help those kids learn about Jesus. And so that could be your action step, putting your faith in action. And if you want to do that, you can go to the Welcome Center, let them know, and, and they'll get you connected. The idea is that real faith requires action. Would you pray with me as we close this morning? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the Rock Church, for the people in this room, for the, the awesome privilege it is for us to gather together and worship as a church family. I thank you for those folks who are here for the first time today, and just I, I pray, God, that they would experience what it's like to come home being here at the Rock. Father, I pray for every one of us that you would help us to have an impact in this world. Um, not because we think we're anything, not because we think we bring anything to the table, but out of gratefulness for what you've done for us. I pray specifically this morning for those in the room who have experienced 
great doubts about all of this. They're just trying to figure out who you really are and what it means to their lives. And I would ask God that these coming weeks, they would have some kind of an encounter with you. You would meet them right where they are and they would get to know the character of the God who loves them so much. God, thank you for your goodness to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you now stand and let's respond together by proclaiming our faith in the God who did it all for us, who paid it all for us.